Well, good morning. My name is Sung. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace, and we want to welcome you. Um, and like John said, man, what a great weekend. Uh, Michigan win, Ohio State loss. Oh, man, and an extra hour of sleep. I mean, can we have this like every weekend? That would be awesome, right? We're continuing in our series called Defining Moments. And before we dive in, uh, I, I, wanna, I, I want us to consider this. A little pop quiz here. Uh, what do the following people all have in common? Okay, ready? Here goes. What do they have in common? First, Richard Nixon, Pete Rose, Lance Armstrong. You seeing a theme here? And uh, I, I, sorry, I just had to do this, but Jim Tressel. Right? All of these people, they were people who had distinguished careers in their respective fields, and yet they were brought down by one defining moment, which were actually preceded by a series of choices that they made that shaped who they would become and eventually tarnished their legacy. And so today we're going to read the story of a similar, uh, a, a similar story of a, a king named Uzziah. Just a little background before we dive into his story. Uh, this, this happens, at, you know, we've been talking in this series, we've been looking at Old Testament characters all the way from Abraham, Jacob, um, Joseph, Moses, Joshua. This is the time after Joshua when the nation of Israel has settled into the promised land. And once they settled, now they want a king. So God provides them Saul, who proves to be a failure in so many ways. So then God raises up another man named David to be the king of Israel. And after him, his son Solomon takes over the throne, and he'll be the last king of Israel. And because of Solomon's unfaithfulness to God, God allows the nation of Israel to now be divided, instead of one nation, divided into two kingdoms. Um, and here's a, a map, one kingdom uh, named Israel, the kingdom of Israel in the north, and the kingdom of Judah in the south each with their own king, and these two kingdoms were often at war with one another. This went on for about 400 years until both of these kingdoms were conquered by other nations and the people were exiled to foreign lands due to their unfaithfulness to God. This is where Uzziah comes in. He comes into power during a really interesting time. He's the king of Judah, and uh, he comes 200 years after Solomon, but 200 years before the exile. And, so he, and he is the single most influential king during this time. Follow along as we read a story in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. You could uh, follow along with the screen up top or open up your Bibles. Um, and it's just amazing when you read his story. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. I mean, that's pretty young, right? And he reigned in Jerusalem 52 years. That's a really long reign. And then this is how the scriptures describe him. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, which is amazing, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. And this verse is really instructive. As long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. And then scripture uh, continues to outline all, uh, a list of all of his accomplishments, right? He went to war against the Philistines and broke down the walls of his enemies. He then rebuilt towns near Ashdod and everywhere among the Philistines. The Ammonites brought tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread as far as the borders of Egypt because he had become very powerful. 
Uzziah built towers and fortified cities. He dug many cisterns because he had much livestock in the foothills and in the plain. He had people working his fields and vineyards in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. It goes on. Uzziah had a well-trained army, ready to go, out by divisions according to their numbers. An army of over 300,000 men, trained for war. A powerful force to support the king against his enemies. Uzziah provided shields, spears, helmets, coats of armor, bows, and sling stones for the entire army. In Jerusalem, he made devices invented for use on the towers and on the corner defenses so that soldiers could shoot arrows and hurl large stones from the walls. His fame spread far and wide, for he was greatly helped by God. And then notice this, until he became powerful. We simply cannot overstate how successful Uzziah's reign was. Judah was this insignificant little kingdom whose borders were shrinking because other nations were conquering that land until Uzziah shows up. He comes into power. All of a sudden, food is plentiful. People are flourishing. Their cities are fortified. The military is strong. Right? And because of Uzziah, this little kingdom of uh, Judah pushed the envelope even when it came to military and agricultural innovation. And because of that, the borders of Judah were expanded all because of Uzziah. So by any measure imaginable, Uzziah was an incredibly successful leader. But then his defining moment comes in the next verse as we continue to read his story. Verse 16 of 2 Chronicles 26. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him in. They confronted King Uzziah and said, it is not right for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priests, the descendants of Aaron who have been consecrated to burn incense. Leave the sanctuary for you have been unfaithful and you will not be honored by the Lord God. And this is how Uzziah responds. Uzziah, who had a censer in his hand ready to burn incense, became angry. While he was raging at the priests in their presence before the incense altar in the Lord's temple, leprosy broke out on his forehead. And then it says, King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. He lived in a separate house, leprous and banned from the temple of the Lord. The other events of Uzziah's reigns from beginning to end are recorded by the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Uzziah rested with his ancestors and was buried near them in a cemetery that belonged to the kings. For people said he had leprosy. I mean, what an epitaph, right? Here's this guy, huge, huge success, and it is tarnished by one defining moment. And did you notice he wasn't buried with his ancestors in the field where other kings were buried? He was buried near them. Why? Because he had leprosy, this contagious disease that, that shunned you from the community, and you were declared ceremonially unclean. And so there are many things in Uzziah's story that are relevant to us today, many things that we could point out. I just want to point out two things from Uzziah's story, and the first is this. I want us to notice that Uzziah's downfall came not as a result of some external threat, like a military or, or a conquering nation. It didn't even come because he committed some huge immoral act or something, but simply because of the fact that he had been successful in the past. 
Uzziah was able to govern an entire nation, but he was unable to govern his own heart, and he became proud of the success he had. And the relevance for us is this. One of the greatest obstacles that gets in the way uh, of God blessing us today and in the future is the fact that he has already blessed us in the past. In other words, maybe I'll say it this way, success can be one of the greatest hindrances to God's blessing. Now you may think, well, isn't success a sign of God's blessing? That's a whole nother sermon there, right? But let me just say that, and you, you know, you hear sermons about overcoming failure. But for me, let me tell you, failure is so much easier to hand over to God and to surrender to God than success is, right? I mean, with failure, you have nothing, and so you're just handing that over to God. With success, right, that is so hard to surrender that to God because it is not a far leap for me to go from, God, thank you for all that you've given me to, man, look at all that I've done. Look at all that I've accomplished. Look at all that I've built for myself, right? That is the Uzziah syndrome, Uh, of going, thank you, God, to man, look what I've done. Now, of course, success isn't bad. Hard work isn't bad. Let's be clear. The point is simply this, that for so many of us, when we've been greatly blessed by God in the past, it is so easy to assume that somehow we were responsible for it all. And we think that God's blessing is exactly what I deserve. Of course I should get that. I've worked hard. I earned it. That's what I should get. Instead, and and forgetting that all of it comes freely from the hand of God. And so, uh, can I confess to you, I I wrestle with this. I mean, in so many areas of my life, one, I mean, and even even on Sunday mornings, I'll say this, you know, you, you are such a kind and generous congregation. I don't know how many times after a Sunday, after service, many of you come up to me, man, Sung, that was such an awesome message. Or, man, you're such a great speaker, and so on, and I thank you. But man, you know what the evil in my heart wants to do and say? Man, I am a good speaker. <laughs> right? Yeah, this is a big Sunday, so I need to hit one out of the park as if it were all up to me. And I think this is a sickness that affects every human heart. The temptation to go from God, thank you for all you've given me, to man, look at all that I've done for myself. This is the Uzziah syndrome. And thank God, he has an amazing way of getting my attention every now and then, and I'm sure he does this in your life as well, too. I remember, uh, this is so memorable, this is a defining moment in my life. A number of years ago, I'm a young man, right, 23 years old, right out of college, jumping into seminary. I'm a youth pastor, and uh, myself, along with five other youth, youth pastors, we are invited to speak at this huge youth conference, right? Uh, each one of us is speaking at one of the sessions, and I was slated the morning of the final day. And, um, you know, again, and some of these youth pastors are experienced and they're well-established. They have large youth groups. And so, I mean, just a a huge crowd. That morning comes, and I'm nervous. I mean, I've not done this that that long, and I'm I'm inexperienced. But the the, the message goes amazingly well. I mean, the the kids respond. People commit their lives to Christ. and, And I'm just, like, elated. I mean, this is just amazing. Well, after that morning session, I'm in the men's restroom, uh, and at that point, right, the wireless mic is turned off, right? That's always an important thing to remember. 
And uh, this gentleman, whom I've never met and have not seen since then, comes walking in and uh, starts talking to me. And if, if uh, you know uh, men, like, you, 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 just, you don't talk to other guys in the restroom, right? I mean, yeah, I mean you're, that, when you're doing your business, that's a little uncomfortable. He comes talking over, he comes and, and I'm sitting there and he's like, hey, that was a really great message. And I'm like, oh, thanks. You know, he's like, yeah, you must feel really good. I mean, it was really powerful. I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, it, it was awesome. And, and then he says, hey, have you ever heard of the story of how Roman emperors would deal with victorious generals as they return from a military campaign? And I'm standing there going, uh, no. I mean, I'm thinking, well, what relevance does that have, right? And he proceeds to tell the story. Well, when a Roman general returned from a victorious military campaign, all of Rome would turn up, and they would, declare, they would celebrate the victory as the general himself would ride down the main street on a chariot led by a white stallion and four battle horses. Crowds would be surrounding him, throwing flowers and shouting praise of admiration to him. And Caesar, the Roman emperor, would always make sure there was a slave uh, hidden behind the general uh, on the floor of the chariot, calling out to him throughout the entire procession, saying, you are a mere mortal. Remember, you're a mere mortal. This too will fade. This too will fade. This too will fade. And then the guy just walks out of the restroom. (laughs) And I'm sitting there like... Well, not sitting there, literally. I'm, I'm standing there. And like chills run up and down my body. Like, oh my, that was exactly the message I needed to hear. And I just like, just bro- break down. And, and like, I'm in tears. I am, I am ruined. Right? This is what God has to remind us of sometimes because we take this Uzziah syndrome so often. And well, the other thing we see with Uzziah, his pride is manifested in, 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 in one particular way. And I'll say this, for me, pride is kind of a slippery thing, right? It's kind of like, you know, what is pride, right? Like, like the moment you, you know you're humble, like, and you say you're humble, I mean, then are you proud, right? I mean, it's just one of those elusive things. Or if somebody tells you, hey, great job, like, how do you respond in a way that's really humble? Pride is a hard thing for me to measure in my own life, although my wife likes to tell me, uh, is good at telling me when, when, uh, pride is really high in my life. So he, here is the Uzziah syndrome, right? Not only do you go from, God, thank you for all you've given me, to, man, look at all that I've done. Look at all that I've accomplished and earned. And this is the final step, right? The final step is this. I am so important that normal rules don't apply to me. How many people can you point to Famous celebrities, I mean, some of the sex scandals going on right now. Politicians, athletes, even spiritual leaders who have done the exact same thing. And this is where the danger is, right? Uzziah started taking shortcuts with God, which was a complete violation to what God had commanded, right? Only those set apart, the ascendants of Aaron, were, were allowed and, and ordained to offer incense. Uzziah I mean, he, he, he thinks he is way too important that the rules don't apply to him. The level of self-importance in his mind was so high. Now, and we saw how serious God took it, right? He gave, he gave Uzziah leprosy for the, entire, for the rest of his life, and that defining moment uh, tarnished his legacy. You know, one of the ways to gauge pride in our lives is to examine the liberties and shortcuts that we take. 
that is a good measure of the level of self-importance that, that you have. Now, if you've been coming to Grace long enough, you, you know this about me. Uh, if not, well, you know, another confession. One area that I tend to take liberties and shortcuts is when I drive, right? I, I, I kind of, I, I, I just chalk it up to like, hey, I'm an East Coast driver, right? People in the Midwest don't know how to drive, right? I'm an East Coast driver, and, and it, this bugs the heck out of my wife. You know, she's like, man, you know, you're, you're always speeding, Right? And, and like, yeah, you're careful, but like when, when you come to a place where it says no U-turn, like you look around and then you make a U-turn, like man, this is just so annoying. And you know what annoys her even more? This happened a few years ago. Sung, you are constantly breaking the rules when it comes to driving. The one time I break the rule and make a U-turn when I don't, I get pulled over and got a ticket. Right? You always get away with things. I can't stand it. Well, Providence would have it this past week. Uh, we were at a, a pastor's retreat, all, all the Grace pastors, five of us from the Ann Arbor campus, two from the Canton campus. We, we got away for a night down in Detroit. We were talking, discussing, praying, strategizing, all sorts of things together, just spending and being, to, being together. And, and on the way back, I, I'm driving with Nate, who's in the passenger seat, and we're driving. And again, I'm going a little bit over the speed limit, and all of a sudden it turns into a construction zone. And before I know it, right, lights start blinking in my rear view mirror, and the cop hands me one of these, 250 bucks. I pull over, and I see it, and I've not gotten a ticket for years. I can't believe it, right? And in my mind, I'm thinking, I can't believe I got caught, right? (laughs) Jeez, I always get away with this. Liberties, shortcuts that I take, right? So finally, we get home. I don't tell my wife right away because I'm just like, oh, man. When I eventually tell her, her response, she just starts laughing. <laughs> Not like a ha-ha funny laugh, like a vengeful kind of like. And she literally said this. I wish I could have recorded it. She's like, you deserve it. It took so long. You had it coming to you, Right? I'm so glad you got a ticket. Now, maybe this will teach you. Let me say, for me, it was a defining moment, right? I I felt like God was saying, look, son, this is a window into your heart that shows the level of self-importance, the liberties and the shortcuts that you think you can take without getting caught or what. I mean, son, your heart is really dark. Now imagine if you, if you fed that over the course of months and years, and you think, man, I don't deserve this. Nobody has to know. The normal rules don't apply to me. I mean, that is death. And our usefulness in God's kingdom hinges on these, these sorts of things. Because the point I want to make in all of these things as we look at the story of Uzziah is this one main point, right? It, it, um, God will only use those people he can trust with his glory. And for those of us who are infected with the Uzziah syndrome, man, right, this is hard because we want glory for who? For God? I mean, we may say that, but we really want glory for ourselves. I want to build a monument to me. And this is the temptation of every human heart. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, this is a huge battle for us because not only do we take liberties, but we become puffed up with self-importance as if God somehow needed us in his kingdom. Like we're doing God a favor by coming to church and serving him. 
God can and does use anybody. But man, he will only use consistently and over a lifetime those people that he could trust with his glory. And throughout scripture, we see that, if, that God uses broken, weak, dependent people. Why? Because then everybody will know that it's him and not them. Preach a brother, right? Those are the kinds of people God uses. He doesn't, use, he doesn't use people who grab and clutch after power and recognition and fame, right? Man, can, can I say this? This was a terrible message to prepare all week, right? I'm preparing this, and I'm, like, I'm, I'm getting killed by God. Like, man, God, this is terrible, right? I mean, I, I, I am preaching to myself here this morning. Man, because I, I look at Uzziah, man, that's so easy. That, that, that is what, what's in my heart, too. So I want to call us to two different postures, two postures that, that uh, I'm calling myself and all of us to adopt. And I trust, uh, and the, here's the thing, with these two postures, I wish these were like one-time decisions and then it would stick, but they're not. There they're are lifetime decisions that you need to make every single day, and I trust that many of us want to be used by God. And so these are the two postures that I think we need to take. The first is the posture of accountability. We cannot live the Christian life in isolation. I mean, how many of you enjoy having people examine your life in a deep way? I mean, I don't know anybody who does, right? I mean, like, particularly by people who know you and love you enough to tell you the truth. I mean, we don't like this. It's, it's way easier just to play the religious game. Well, I come to church, and some of you, it's like, well, gosh, you know, I'm even in a community group. That, you know, of course I'm useful in God's kingdom. Uh, or... I mean, here's another way we get proud. It's like, well, gosh, I, I even tithe, not like 98% of the church. Not only do I tithe, but I serve in the church. It's, it's so easy to play that game, and those are great things, but it's so easy to hide behind those things and not really be in, in relationships where we're accountable to other believers. And sometimes, this is where I see it. I mean, it, I see this everywhere. But for some of you young people who are dating, uh, this is what I often see. You start dating, you get so enamored with one another, all of a sudden, like, all you do is spend time with one another, and, and you don't spend time with anybody else, right? If you're young and dating, like, man, you need to be known by other people. And this is true, whether you're single or married, too, right? You need people who ask you the hard questions, because we want to take liberties, and we want to take shortcuts in different ways, in different aspects. But I have men in my life who will ask me the hard questions and who will love me enough, but not love me enough to actually tell me the truth and point out things to me and say, you know, son, you have a tendency to do this. Man, that's not easy. I mean, and accountability all around. I mean, shoot, even my dad who lives 800 miles away, he listens to my sermons and sometimes we'll talk and he'll be like, hey, son, do you realize you said this in your sermon? I'm like, man, gosh, okay. Or even Amy, right, my wife, she's, she's always, I mean, she's like, I, you know that story you told? I don't know if it went exactly like that way. <laughs> okay, don't tell me how it really went. I, I don't want to know, right? Like, I, and I think, man, I'm the lead pastor. Leave me alone, right? That is the tendency we have. Accountability is so important, the posture of accountability. Secondly, the posture of brokenness. God commands us to humble ourselves, not to wait to be humbled, not to wait till something bad happens to you, but to proactively humble yourself before God. 
When you're around broken people, like you know it, right? I mean, you, you've been around those people. Broken people don't always have to win. They don't have to be right all the time. Broken people, they don't have to be in control. They don't have to be first. They don't have to be successful. They don't have to be recognized. And so for us, this is a work of God, yes, in breaking us, but it's also a decision that we make to humble ourselves before God. And if you think of what it means to be broken, like to, to, to break a horse, for example, right? When you break a horse, right, it doesn't mean that the horse no longer has any strength, will, or energy, right? When you break a horse, a horse is broken when all that it has left is useful in the hands of its master, and so now the master can channel all of its strength and energy and will towards the, the goal and the purpose that, that the master intends. And so that's the posture that we're called to, to hand over not only our failures, but especially our successes. And to recognize that all of it, all of it comes freely from the hand of God. And so let's pray that God would give us a passion for his glory. I know that's like the good and right religious thing to say in church, but can I say this? I'm passionate about my glory. I'm passionate about my success. Or, I mean, yeah, sure, I'm passionate about God's glory as long as I'm involved in some way, right? But for so many of us, the burning desire isn't to see God glorified. And so let's examine our hearts. What kind of liberties and shortcuts are you taking? Where do you see self-importance creeping into your life? And let's assume a posture of accountability and brokenness. And let me just say this. This is so important because this congregation, we are young. So many of you are, are young and like you, we are driven. We're ambitious. You, I mean, God will use you in so many ways. And that's why this is so, so important. And even as a church, I mean, eight-year-old church, we've grown a ton. This is so important for us to recognize that all of it is a gift from God. And it's easy to be proud. And so, again, the only solution that we have in this is, again, to look to Jesus. Right? He's the one that gave himself up for us. He's the one that came, and he, he, he made himself broken for us on the cross. He gave his life for us, giving himself, taking upon the, the sins that we deserve. Right? He lives a perfect life we couldn't. He dies the death that we deserve, and now he takes our place so that we don't experience the wrath of God. We don't have to be separated from God forever. But now because of him, we could see how broken he is and the way that God the Father glorified him. And we could see that and go, man, that is exactly who we want to follow. And it's only because of the good news of Jesus that we are able to do this. And so we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper t today. Uh, and, uh, but before we do that, um, let's, can I have you stand? Let's stand and would you bow your heads and close your eyes and would you pray with me? Would you, let's pray that God would give us that measure of brokenness in our hearts. And so God, as we examine our hearts, we see both how dark and evil the deepest recesses of our hearts are. And so God, we come to you desiring to look to the cross to see how you gave yourself and we want to come broken before you with nothing to hide, nothing in our hands, nothing to prove, nothing to lose, but simply want to lift up our praise and worship to you. God, you are the one that we lift up our praises to. This is all for you.
It's not about us. And so God, as we do this, we remember your sacrifice. We remember your blood shed for us. We remember your body given for us. And God, we give you thanks to be called your children and your family. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.